Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, folks. It is February 15th, 2011. This is Todd Waller with uh, your host, Mr. Michael McClure, Professional One on Twitter. Mike, how are you doing today? You know, Todd, I couldn't be better. It's um, We're finally getting out of this horrific winter that we've had here in Michigan and the massive snowfalls that we've had of late. We've had a couple of sunny days in a row, and I'm looking out the window and seeing that sunshine that's so unusual for us this time of year, and it just lifts your spirits, doesn't it? It, it certainly does, and in fact, in uh, prepping for a, a, just a brief chat about the weather, I was uh, talking with um, uh, Stefan in the uh, screen room there for just a moment, and he was bragging that it was about 50 degrees or so uh, where he is, and, and I was saying we were lucky to be around about 30, <laughs> although the yeah, sun is well, out in both places. So, Last time I talked to him, I think it was 12 degrees where we were and 75 where he was. Which, of course, always makes me feel terrible. It's funny because on my iPhone, and I have to, of course, plug the iPhone since we are both recent converts and just loving it to to an unhealthy level, I would suggest. I have four different um, weather zones in my little weather widget. And, of course, all three of them are in much nicer climates. And occasionally when I'm feeling down about what we have, I just flip over and check out what's going on in Austin, Texas, or Los Angeles, or San Francisco, or Naples, Florida. And invariably, I feel a little bit better because somebody's enjoying <laughs> some nice weather somewhere. <laughs> Boy, but clearly, I hear you yeah, clearly, yeah, clearly we're not here to talk about the weather, but it's just so nice it's hard not to. Um, today, of course, uh, we have, as you've already referenced, we have Stefan Swanapul on the show, and um, it's his third visit with us. And, you know, I know you agree with me on this, Todd, that it's always an honor and a pleasure to have him on the show. There's just nobody that we like more, we respect more. Um, nobody sees the industry from a, a more unique and, I believe, more accurate perspective. And it's what's really cool as many of our listeners will know, is that he's actually going to be coming on in just a moment to talk about two things. The first is his annual trends report, which was released. And by the way, have you received your copy? Did you get yours? No, I have not seen that yet, but I bet you my my mail doesn't show up until about 3.34 o'clock in the afternoon, so I bet you it's hanging around in my house when I get home. Gotcha. Uh, Well, in any event, so his his annual trends report was just released within the last few days, and his first non-real estate-based um, book, which is called Surviving Your Serengeti, is about to be released. And we had a little uh, Twitter experience with that the other day, which I won't ruin by talking about it now. I'm sure we can discuss that when we get to it in a few minutes. But in any event, he's here to talk about those two things. We have a lot to cover, so why don't we just go ahead and bring Stefan on and get right into it rather than spend more time talking about our inanities. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Stefan, how are you doing this afternoon? 
Good morning, guys. I've already been online here for the last five minutes. I've been tweeting away. I'm having discussions here about four weather zones in Hawaii, and here comes the sun and the music. This is great <laughs> to be with you guys again today. Thank you very much for the invite. Well, put the Twitter down, sir. We demand your full attention. <laughs> I can't put Twitter down. I got I got Hootsuite here up on two different screens. I'm looking at five different columns. Oh my! You're a you're a social media maniac. Well, you know, again, as I just said, welcome. It is such an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, without repeating what I just said, we there's just nobody that we hold in the same regard as you. There's some tremendous people in real estate, but you span so many different aspects. In fact, I would argue that you span them all, and there's really no one that does uh, quite like you do, all the way from the realm of the emerging social media stuff all the way over to the other end of the spectrum, which I would characterize as you know the old-school, traditional real estate brands and brokerages and I don't know anybody that covers that full that full span quite like you do so mad respect to you for that and um so let's just get right into it let's start with let's start by talking about the trends report what are the uh what well, first of all is it is that now available for public purchase online Absolutely. It always comes out the first week of February every year. We were slightly delayed this year for about a week because of all the snowstorms. We actually had our trends report got stuck in the snow. So we had a, we had a delay of about five days for the reports to get to us. But they arrived at our offices. Uh, I was out of town, but I believe they arrived last week and uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, so just under a week ago, and we started shipping out probably at a rate of about 500 a day. Every day started going out. So depending where you were in the pipeline, I know there are hundreds and hundreds of people that already have their reports. Most received their reports, I would say, either Friday or then maybe yesterday with maybe another couple of thousand being delivered today and tomorrow. Wow. Well, and remind their viewers who or the listeners who don't know, um, how many years have you been writing the report? It's an annual thing, and how many years have you been writing it? Uh, well, we've done we've done 19 real estate publications uh, in total now. The Swanepoel Trends Report, as the edition as it is known and stands today, this is number six. First one came out in 2006. Uh, before that, we did a report every three years, and most of them were known as uh, real estate confronts. So there was a whole real estate confronts series. It was confronts the banks and, and reality and information services and bundle services and the future and customer acquisition and profitability and the e-consumer. But we did those every three years, and we found out that there was nobody else doing research in the industry uh, to the extent that we feel that the industry was asking for. So in 2005, I took the, the horrendously stupid decision to commit my life and my body and my family to write a 160-page report synopsis every year of what happened in the industry in the last 12 months that I think is significant and, and meaningful and substantial and strategic and, and shifting the bar and raising the bar and, and moving the dial and call it all the good stuff. And what are those things that I think will have some kind of a, a longevity or, or lasting impact on our industry? And then, and then of course, we end up with, ooh, uh, Michael, I kid you not, I, I, we usually end up with about 800 pages, but I know that that's too much to read. I mean, it is just overwhelming, even for myself. And, and then we spend a whole month culling through the information, trying to get rid of the, the, the non-factual stuff, 
uh, if I may say so, excuse me, the bullshit in the industry which we have, and try and trim down all the fluff into as much of the stuff we can substantiate. We try and verify all information. We try and take subjectivity out. We try and be as objective, objective as we can. And of course, it's hard, but as objective as we can. And then we say, we think people will dedicate a half a day, three hours, four hours, to, to caring about your future. If you're not willing to spend three hours to read what I took a thousand hours to write, uh, then, then you're not professional. Then you don't care about your industry. So this is a three-hour, four-hour read, which will give you a total synopsis of what the industry is today and is most likely going to look like in the next 12 to 24 months. Well, that's very interesting. In fact, you you answered a couple of questions I was going to ask you uh, about you know the process, and you said you the, the original manuscript is something in the range of 800 pages. That's amazing. When do you actually start writing the subsequent year's trends report? Do you jump right in, or do you wait a few months, or how, what's that process like? There's a, it's actually a team of four people. We have one person that actually starts the day that the report comes out. So from the beginning of January, this person is already tracking everything for this year. So we already have somebody who has already built up probably, I would guess at this point in time, 50 or 60 files so far for this year. But this is just a collection of information, a gathering of information. Uh, that continues for about six or seven months. And towards around about July, August, a second person joins the team. And then we start culling through that information. We start cleaning, verifying, categorizing, trying to see are there any trends, any major movements, any big companies did something, any small companies, any innovations. What's popped up on Inman? What's popped up on Risk Media? What is Stephen Murray doing? What is NAR doing? What's happening to the MLSs? Any of the big franchises doing something? What's happening on the social media buzz line? So we then try and cull those information, put them together, and start categorizing them and putting them into groups. By around about September, I'll have my staff come to me with maybe 40, 50, 60 files and say, we have about 30 or 40 or 50 topics, important topics. Then we'll look at the topics and say, which of these topics are not appropriate, inappropriate, small, not significantly enough, full of, of, of hot air, or which of these topics are actually close together? Could we maybe throw uh, augmented reality and location-based services together? Would they fit together or are they separate? And then we'll start culling them down to around about 20, 25 trends at around about October. Then we will refine those by talking to people, doing interviews, sending out surveys, calling CEOs, and trying to do as many radio interviews and telephone interviews as we can, not with the intention like today's interview to publish it, but to get clarification, to get verification of data and information. Most people will take our calls. Most people are anxious to respond. There are, of course, many companies that either don't want to waste the time or just don't think it's important enough. Uh, and if we can't verify something, we will make a judgment call. Sometimes we will still include it if we think there is a validity in it. Sometimes if we can't verify it and you don't want to take my call, uh, we're going to just throw it out. Uh, we have to believe that you are too scared to try and validate your data or you can't validate your data. And then we will go, of course, in November to the NR convention and we will walk the trade floor every year for 14 hours, booth to booth to booth to booth, and double check, is there anything we might have missed. At the same time, we send out tweets and Facebook walls on all of my social media. I have on all of my seven social media platforms at the moment, a little bit over 60,000 friends and followers and all of this stuff. So we'll send it out on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook on my fan page or my follow page and say, guys, anything you've heard of. Now, most of the time when we get feedback by that time, we've usually already heard about it. So you're usually telling us something we already know 
but I just want to make 100% certain. And there is every year, every year, one or two people which give us an example of something in a town or a place on the air which say, Stefan, did you know that this happened in this place? And we go like, oh, we did know that. And then we will go validate that. End of November is final writing. December is editing, re-editing, editing, re-editing, grammar checking, doing graphs, doing tables, doing charts, getting quotes, getting testimonials. And then we wrap everything up the week before Christmas. And then six of us, the week over Christmas, take the report home. And over Christmas, that's our homework for Christmas week. We read the report, our in-house report, four or five times, each of us, over and over and over again, to try and make sure, did we not misstate or misquote anybody? Now, we've got all the typical disclaimers, but we've become known as the name that you can trust in real estate because we really truly try and validate everything. And then we take it to the printers on the 1st of January. And it takes about four weeks from there to do the typesetting and do all the finishing stuff to get it on the street the first week of February. Wow. Is that all? Uh, that's about <laughs> roughly the program. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. And, you know, it's, it's funny because um, I really try to stay abreast of the industry and I, and I try to stay current. But my focus is, is quite narrow. It doesn't spend anywhere near what yours does. And, you know, I'm really focusing on technology and social media and emerging brands and that kind of thing. And I've often wondered what went into the process that would culminate with the, with the writing of your report because it just seems like such an, a huge task. I don't even know where to begin. So thank you for sharing all that with us because I find it fascinating. And I really do. Yeah, it really is. So, so let's talk about this year's report, the one that just came out. Uh, what are what are the things that you know you have an open platform right now? What are the things that you would want to echo or amplify or bring to our attention or to the attention of people who might be thinking about buying the trends report? Well, the book is divided at the moment into three primary sections. The first section is what we call key market overviews, and we spend approximately about 10 pages every year revisiting five very important chapters, five important shifts that are important. For example, we always look at the economy. Now, I'm not an economist. I never want to be one. But we would look at Case Schiller. We would look at NAR. We would look at Lawrence Young. We would look at Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. We would look at all of the stuff they say. And because they have such various opinions and diverging opinions, we'll try and culminate that information. And on behalf of realtors, none of us have PhDs in, in economic research. So we'll try and work through that stuff and try and make sense for you. Which ones do we think are on track? Which ones are similar? Which ones have the most merit behind it, who's been the most accurate in the past, who seems to be tracking in what line. Again, you, you can quote anybody you want to. My goal is here is not, I'm not the NAR spokesperson, but neither am I Kay Schiller's spokesperson. So we will look at both, we respect both, and we will then try and cobble together for the average realtor, broker, manager, those opinions that we think will most likely help you have an influence. So that instead of you trying to read 20 newspapers or, or 20 CNNs every day, you can pick up this and you will have in 10 pages a condensed summary of what most of the key people are saying about the most key factors. So we'll look at every one of the factors that are important. What's happening in the market? The future, the good news, the bad news, the Freddie Mac, the Fannie Mae's, uh, is anything working? Why is it not working? What the government's role is? Okay, that's just one. Then number two, we'll do exactly the same for the commercial market. 
right? Number three, we'll do exactly the same for the social media market. Social media is, a, is an evolution. So I don't want to just talk about Facebook again, but what's new in social media? Is it geolocation? Is it group shopping? Is it location-based services? Is it uh, social Q&A? Is it integration? Is it information streaming? So we'll look at all the new stuff every year and try and show you how it picks up on the others. So my report is not the same every year. You can pick up two reports. There's nothing the same. They're different because I reviewed what happened in the last 12 months and what my predictions are for the next 12 months. So it, it reads like a sequel. Now, now, is last year's report old? No, it's not old. Why? Because nothing happens so fast that it gets outdated overnight. Now, you can go and read the, my 10-year-old report, but that is, that is more for amusement because 10 years ago is a long time ago. But I would say two years is about the, the maximum, maybe three years, the reports are still valid. So then, uh, fourthly, we now look for the first time this year into the global market. The global market is getting larger and larger, meaning that we have more access to information. We have more American companies going abroad, more Australian and European companies like Engel and Folkers and Harcourts and, and uh, uh, the other one from Canada, Brookfield. They're all coming to our continent, so we now have to start tracking traffic in both directions. Our company's going there, their company's coming here. So now for the first time in this year's report, we actually investigate different countries. We do a whole report for you on Argentina, Australia, China, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the UK, South Africa. And we'll tell you how many agents, how many markets, how many houses, how many souls, how many price, what's the mortgage, how does it roughly work, so that you can get an understanding either should you want to move there or you want to sell there or you just want to do relocation or you may be working with a client. And then our fifth section, which we cover every year, is mobile technology. I mean, with all the iPhones and the iPads and the Blackberries and the Droids, it has just become so big that we have to look at all these applications and these utilities and, and how does it involve real estate. And then we look at, in section number two of the report, we have the, the, top, the top residential business trends. What's happening in this space, Michael, where you and Todd and I are, and most of our listeners, where we are, what's happening there? What's the most five hottest topics at the moment. No question, one of the hot topics at the moment is home ownership. This whole thing that the American dream is under siege. So we look at the whole government's intervention. What are they doing with foreclosures? What's happening with the QE2s? What's the solutions? Is there reality check? You know, what is the government doing? What are the threats on the horizon? What are the increased taxes? Should tax deductions be allowed? Those kind of stuff. We try and look at them, and then we try and say, here's scenario one. This is what the government does. This is what NAR says. This is what Mark says this is what the business says here's the options if we look at them we think this one uh, maybe not such a good choice maybe this one doesn't look like it's going to work this one looks like it's fizzling out these two look to have the highest probability and for this reason again remember I'm the researcher for all of the industry. I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm not trying to sell you on mobile media or a droid or a specific plan. So you can differ from me, but my goal is not to differ from you. My goal is to give you information to empower you to be a smarter, more clever professional and carry with you almost a kind of a, a synopsis or a cliff note or a Bible version of the industry for now. Then we look at new business models. Every second year, we don't do it every year, but usually every second year, there's enough new business models that, that pop up that are interesting enough, which we want to look at and see, 
is it is, is it changing? Now we've discussed the Remaxes and the Coal Bankers and the Keller Williams often. Those are great companies. The Prudentials, the Century Twenty Ones, the ERAs, the Exit Realties, great companies, and we will continue to discuss them. But every alternate second year, we then look at basically unknown companies, companies that that maybe are less than a couple of years old. They might only have you know a couple of offices, few agents. We don't know if they're going to make it. They might not make it, but they might become the next big thing. They might be the next exciting company. So this year we've picked companies like uh, Ad Properties, Allison James, Connect Realty, EXP, uh, Next Age, Pedal Properties, uh, Auction Division, and then of course my host today here, Professional One Real Estate. We featured you as well this year in the report. I don't think you've seen it yet, but you're in there as well. So we look at these companies and say, why, who, how, what? And I believe that we have to give the entrepreneurial spirit which we have in this industry, we've got to give them more credit because it is hard to start a brand new company and or concept in a tough time with a new idea and a new concept and actually get it off the ground. And these, I don't know, seven, eight or nine companies which we featured this year. Again, I have no equity in any one of them, right? And, and, and in most cases, uh, I think I've only met the CEO of two of the seven companies. So I've spoken to most of them, but these are not necessarily my friends. So I'm not promoting these people because they're my friends. I'm promoting them because I think they have merit and because I think they have an interesting proposition to do. Mm. Then oh, I've got I got more time. I'm only halfway through my report now. <laughs> <laughs> it it right, really I'll, is... I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wrap it up. We, we talk about the cloud. We talk about bandwidth. We talk about opportunities, diversi diversification, short sales, REOs, the luxury home brands, uh, mergers and acquisitions, consolidation, uh, consolidation of title companies, mortgage companies, escrow companies, real estate companies, and even realtor associations. That's chapter two of the report. <laughs> and then the final chapter. The final chapter. We have all the other kind of important trends that we think haven't fallen in a trend, but that you should not be missing. Things like one-stop shopping, uh, new innovative software programs out there, MLS data organization, RPR, MLS organizations, patent suits going at, at the moment going around, new IPOs may be coming up. We talk about things like Zillow. We talk about the agent count going up and down. Online advertising, who's gaining momentum? Now, if that doesn't keep you busy, if you don't think that this isn't worth a read, you're in the wrong industry, my friend. No doubt, no doubt. And and you know, when I first stumbled upon your uh trends report, I was just amazed because I you know, I wasn't aware of it until I became aware of it and then it was like, Oh my gosh, there's nothing like this anywhere. Nobody else creates anything that's even remotely like it. It's a treasure trove of information and I I sincerely believe that you already said it, but you know, you can't really take yourself seriously as a professional if you're not absorbing this information because I would argue and I'm not disagreeing with what you said earlier about the fact that you know last year's trends report is still meaningful. Of course it is, but 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 I would argue that the pace of change, not just in real estate but in life in general, in all industries, just keeps going faster and faster and faster. And so I believe it's it's never been more important to stay current because just knowing what the issues are alone, let alone mastering them, just simply being aware of what they are. I mean, I can't wait to read the new the new trends report just because I know I'm gonna I'm gonna stumble across probably fifty things that I've never heard of before. And probably many of them won't be relevant to me, but some of them will and how do I know what's relevant until I even know what they are? So, you know, I think it's uh I think it's tremendous what you do. I hope you never stop doing it. Yeah. And um 
thank you for the incredible contributions that you make to the overall knowledge base of the industry because, quite frankly, without the Trends Report, I don't know where people would get that information. I have no idea. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Well, and and Stefan, I think you said it correctly, and I'm going to pile on the thank yous, that you uh, your reports are being used and likely used by folks, agents and brokerages that are looking for that edge. They are looking to differentiate themselves from the masses. And I think that's, uh, that's I think, the, the key part of your trends report, specifically for uh, an individual agent, a small brokerage, even medium-sized, even large brokerage. It gives them um, some tools, some avenues, some um, rabbit trails, if you will, to run down and find a differentiator both within their marketplace and the consumers, but also in the marketplace and potentially other agents uh, in the industry. So, again, thank you. And, and Thank you all very, that being, very much. And all that being said, Stefan, um, let, and I know we want to get on to our, you know, to the next topic, but before we do that, what are the two or three things that really stand out to you that you think a typical listener of this show would want to know from the Trends Report? What really stood out for you this year or last year? What stood out? Um, you mentioned one just now. You know, the, the pace is moving faster, so there is more stuff. But but we shouldn't get confused with with the glitz of 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 shiny toys. And and what is a critical, important, strategic uh, knowledge piece of information we need to make a decision? Although although the trends uh, do change. I mean, yes, we can say that anything which was written today is outdated tomorrow. We all understand that statement. The trends report is not outdated, and I'm not saying that because I wrote the report. It is because there are many things, there are many wisdoms in life which you can write. You can refer to the Bible, but you can not. Not everything is is outdated instantaneously. The report is not written from the point of view that I'm doing a review about the droid which was issued yesterday. I talk about the philosophy and the concept and how you can implement wireless technology effectively in your real estate business to get more business and how you can build a long-term relationship with the client because that is where the shifting paradigm is going. Now, now that sentence, which I just now said, which I made up from the top of my head, I could have made that sentence, I could say that sentence today, I can say it in six months' time, I can say it in six months ago. It is still valid. It's what you do with it that's going to be important. So, so firstly is You've got to become knowledgeable, Mr. Real Estate Professional, whether you're broker, agent, leader, team leader. If you want to survive in this market, it is the, the competition is getting tougher, and, and you've, got to become, you've got to become smarter. You can no longer just cry ignorance and say, I don't know, or I don't care, or I don't know where I couldn't find it, or I will just go Google it. As you just now said, Michael, you can't just go Google this information. Why? Because it's not in one place. It is, it is, it is dispersed amongst hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sites over many, many, many months of places and pages. And when you find it, you don't even know if it's true. That's why our report is cut from 800 pages down to 160, because two-thirds of what we found wasn't valid. It didn't apply. It wasn't true. I couldn't find any substantiation for it. It was somebody's opinion. So you've got to make sure you've got the knowledge together. Then secondly, you've got to strategize. You've got to have a plan of attack. You've got to have a roadmap. You've got to decide where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Do you want to remain this part-time agent which has got a dual career, which is not making any money? Or do you want to become, I don't care what it is you want to become, you want to become a, a professional agent or you want to become the biggest franchisee in the world? It doesn't make a difference what you want to become, but you've got to have a very clear path, a very clear path of where you want to go. And then third but not least, 
boy, you've got to focus. You've got to focus and you've got to execute. If if you don't have a plan and you're not executing on something and we're just talking and it's just fun and it's nice, that's great. Let's go to the bar and let's go drink. Uh, but but if you want to get down to business, <laughs> if you want to get down to business, you've got to know the facts and the knowledge uh, and you've got to know where you want to go and you've got to set your plan in motion and you've got to get there. And I think it's possible for anybody to get anywhere. Well, those are those are great highlights that you've shared there, and I, you know, I saw, you know I agree with all of them, and, and the knowledge staying current. You know, I just think our industry is is metamorphosizing so quickly or morphing so quickly. And let's go back and refocus on you know why do we even start this radio show? The genesis of this show, and it, it remains the purpose, is to raise the bar in real estate. And as you'll know, Stefan, since again, again this is your third visit here. Um, we are just passionate about changing and improving the industry, and it all gets back. I think knowledge is the foundation of, of everything. I mean, you just have to know what you're doing. I think the level of expertise needs to increase in real estate. We've blogged about it, you know, till we're blue in the face, quoting you more times than anyone in our blog writing, uh, simply because you, in my opinion, are setting the trends, no pun intended, um, for all of us to follow and just to be aware and increase the level of our professionalism and knowledge. So, again, thank you for providing the, the, the foundation for those of us who want to use it as such to help take the industry where we think it needs to go. So um, anything else you want to reference about the trends report before we move on to the next topic? No. This is your show. You take us where you want to go. But you're the guest, and we want to talk about whatever is most uh, interesting for you to talk about. But having said that, let's move on to the next part, which is uh, surviving your Serengeti. This is your first foray into the non-real estate-related um, aspect of book writing. And uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, uh, Surviving Your Serengeti is a tremendous uh, book. It's a it's a fable about life. It's about business, and I can't articulate it anywhere near as well as Stefan, so I'm going to get out of the way here in just a second and let him do that for you. But I do want to say that a number of people, me, Todd Waller on the call with us here, um, and a number of other people that I know personally were given the um, the opportunity to read the book ahead of its advance, ahead of its publication. And exclusively, without exception, every person that I know that's read it raves about it. Many of us have uh, written blog posts or produced testimonial videos. And I would implore you from a personal perspective, anyone listening who uh, is thinking about buying the book, please do so because you will be blessed by it. And just as, Stefan, you did what you do with the Trends Report, and I, and I have never asked you this, so forgive me if I'm wrong in what I'm going to say. You can correct me if I am wrong. But, you know, I think you designed it to be digestible for a lot of people. It's a, it's a fairly quick read, and it packs a lot of provocative, introspective stuff into a relatively modestly sized package. It's a great story with a lot of lessons built into it, and I'm going to stop talking now and let you jump in, Stefan. But tell the listeners about the book. What was the genesis? Why did you write it? You know, all the thoughts that went into it. Just, just tell us those things, please. <laughs> Lots of questions hidden in there, right? Um, Michael, um, I, I thoroughly 
enjoy writing. So I, I like writing, and I love putting the trends report together, and I most likely will continue for a long, long, long time. But the trends report is, is truly hard, hard, hard work. It is it, it, Because it's an academic book, it's a technical book, it requires research, it requires accuracy, and it is in an industry which, which uh, doesn't like to give information, doesn't validate information, doesn't, doesn't have a lot of accurate information. It is, it is very hard to put the trends report together. It is really every year um, it's a burden it's a struggle I enjoy doing it don't get me wrong otherwise I wouldn't be doing it but but, but it is it is, it is I, I challenge anybody to come and join me to write it every year after year it is a, it is a it is a, a, a monstrous task so so with that in mind and I enjoy writing I said to myself a couple of years ago uh, I don't want to make writing uh, just difficult and boring for me. I need to find another way to express my desire to write, but to write something that is is more fun for me, something which would be my my passion, my hobby. And and at heart, I'm I'm a storyteller. Um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a joker. I don't go around telling jokes, but but I like telling stories. And in most cases, I explain things when I when I teach my kids. When I share with my kids or my friends or even at the office, I've been CEO of seven companies and I have to explain something to my employees. I don't know why I, I default to, to tell a parable. I, I, I use a metaphor. It just is the way I am maybe put together. So I, I'm very fond of, of parables and, and metaphors on, on many, many levels. So when I said, let me write a book uh, a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe well, I, I had decided I wanted to write a New York Times bestseller when I was 18, and it's in my official list of goals at the age of 18. But, but I didn't know what I was going to write as a bestseller. I just said I was going to write one. So when I started really looking about 10 years ago at what I was going to write, I said, I can't write Harry Potter. I, I don't have that kind of imagination. I can't write Star Wars. I mean, I can enjoy Star Wars, uh, but I don't think I could create those characters in, in, a, in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, I was looking at humor at one stage. I thought I could write humor. Um, difficult, very, very difficult to write humor. And, and then I came upon what I would call the, the business fable genre. And, and that is for the sake of, of, of making it easy for everybody to understand. These are books uh, that I think you would recognize, recognize like Who Moved Your Cheese by Spencer Johnson, uh, The One Minute Manager and Gung Ho by Ken Blanchard, uh, maybe Fish by Stephen London, um, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni, The Present by Spencer Johnson, uh, the, frac what's the Fred Factor by Mark Stan Sanborn, uh, The Traveler's Gift by Andy Andrews, The Energy Bus by John Gordon, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Um, those kind of books, even, even Patrick Lencioni's latest book, uh, Getting Naked, uh, or Roar by, by, by Kevin Dumb, these are books that... that appeal to me. They, they have a message, uh, but they are told uh, in, a, in a lighter, easier side of way. They're not just an academical book or a technical book like my trends report. They have value, they have meaning, but they are told with a story. So I went back and, and, and I found that, that my shelf was, was full of them. I, I, had, I had many of these, and over the years I had collected them without actually even, even noticing. So I pulled them all up and I drew up myself a list of the best 25 business fables I could find, uh, both on the bestsellers list, as well as the ones I enjoyed, as well as ones which friends recommended. And I went and reread them all again. And, and I said to myself, yeah, this, this, is, 
this is my style. This is my genre. I, I like the parable, but I like giving value. Like the trends report, there has to be meat. I, I can't write just a, a fictional story. I have to write something with a message in. So I started thinking, what is the message? What, what is important to me? And I looked at, at the values I believe in. I looked at the values which I've used to raise my kids. And I, I jotted down about 40 of them. I jotted down 40 uh, wisdoms, if you want to call them that, or truths. And I said, all right, now maybe I can't put 40 in a book because if you looked at Who Moved Your Cheese, there's only one concept in there. If you look at Gung Ho from, from Ken Blanchard, there's three concepts in there. So I said, clearly 40 is too many, so I have to, I have to trim it down. So I started cutting it down to, to, to 20, 15 in that kind of a ballpark. Uh, picked my 10, 10, 12, 15 kind of wisdoms and truths, and then I wanted to put it in a parable. And I, again, I, and, and I looked at Who Moved Your Cheese, and, and, and I respect the book. The book did incredibly well. It's one of the best books of all time. And I, you know, I looked at Fish and a few others like that, and The Shark and the Goldfish. But I found the stories, in my humble opinion, a little bit thinner than what I wanted and what I wanted to write. And I felt that if I wanted to put five, six, seven, eight, nine messages in a book, I couldn't keep the story that thin. I needed, to, I needed to find a larger parable. I needed to find something which was more epic. And I went looking for an epic story. I, I was looking for an epic backdrop. Uh, and it took me two years uh, until I came across the Serengeti migration. Now, I had seen the migration before. I'd been to Africa before. I'd been to a safari before. But I had been as a tourist and I had lived there for, of course, for a period of time. But but I was now hunting for a, a, a metaphor that I felt would would do justice to carry the message. And when I found the, 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 uh, the Serengeti migration, I felt, wow, here I have something which is awe-inspiring. It has the largest concentration of wildlife on the planet. It is the largest migration on the planet. And it has awe-inspiring beauty. Uh, it has nature. It has the largest animal on the planet, the elephant, the largest mammal, I mean, on the planet, the, large, the fastest uh, animal on the planet, the cheetah, one of the oldest animals, the dinosaurs, crocodiles on the planet. So in many cases, I had, I had a, a foray of characters. Now I had to figure out, would these characters fit the message? So I, went, I got on a plane, and I went to the Serengeti, and I went on a, on a safari again for the 20th time. But this time 20? I went on my own. Yeah, 20s. Yeah. Wow. So wow. I, I went on the safari myself, and I, I went on my own with a, with a game ranger. And I said, I need to connect with the animals. I don't want to drive with it other, other people who are Americans in my, in, my, in my group. I don't want to stop and do the touristy stuff. I want to drive and go sit under a tree, and I want to go study an animal for a certain period of time. I want to study the tree, the sunset, the ground, the smell. I, I want to see if I can relate to the wildebeest. Can I find... Can I become one with the wildebeest that I can see a skill or a wisdom in the wildebeest that I could relate to? And would one of those relate to something on my list? And although I had 20 animals at that time, I researched 20, there were only seven animals that I could relate to. There were seven animals that spoke to me and said to me, Stefan, I am the skill. Uh, and I could see it as clear as, as you could see anything else. The other 13 characters, or the other animals which I did not use in the book, I did not use a leopard in the book, I did not use a rhino in the book, I did not use a hippo in the book, uh, I did not use an impala in the book, um, and it, it, I could not find a skill that I felt that the story was a natural fit. 
I didn't want to force anything. I did not want to say, oh, I'm going to take a, a block of cheese and a mice and I'm going to create change and I'm going to put them together. I felt in some cases that that could maybe be forced. Again, and I'm not criticizing the book. The book's fantastic. I wanted to see, could I write a, a fable which was such a strong fable that you will get pulled into that fable, that you will want to finish that book. It's actually, actually a novel. But, but as you read the novel, you find out that, that it's more than that. There, there's a message behind. And I don't have to actually give you the message at the back of the chapter. Before you even get to the, the message at the back of the chapter, I think you would have already found the message with, hidden in between the narrative of the book. And that was the goal. So I was inspired to try and write something which is a business fable, but maybe I'm creating a new genre. I hope so. But it is a complicated, intriguing, fascinating, sophisticated fable that has not one message, but, but an array of seven messages, which then in the end also integrate collectively into one purpose of life. How That's does that awesome. Sound? That's awesome. Todd, did you have a question? No, I, I'm just my mind is reeling just uh, listening to Stefan's passion, your passion for uh, what it is that you've written. Obviously, it is something that you hold near and dear to your heart, um, but it comes through in your writing as well. And so, when you state, um, as you stated here, that the um, point or the lessons, if you will, doesn't need to necessarily be drawn out because the, the lessons are, are pretty well hidden. I want not well hidden. They're they're hidden in plain sight amidst the story of surviving your Serengeti. Uh, and it is neat for me uh, to, in my mind, uh, match up your passion that you have to telling the story, but also the fact that you were able to pull off exactly what it is that you were aiming for to um, hide in plain sight uh, the lessons that you are passionate about and uh, are looking for business folks to um, to grasp, to get, and um, uh, implement. That is just extraordinary to hear. <laughs> I, I love also, that. Todd, I would alter what you just said just a shade in the sense that I'm not entirely uh, focused just at business people. I think it's correct, correct me if I'm wrong, Stefan, but I think it's, it's aimed at everybody. And in fact, I really, um, when I was done reading it, I didn't actually think of it as a business fable. I right. thought of it as just a life story or a life fable um, that really had applicability to kind of everybody. And uh, but I would echo Todd's comments completely otherwise, and certainly about the passion part. And I'm fascinated by the backstory. You know, I had no idea that you actually. I mean, I knew you, I knew you had experience um, going on on safaris. I didn't know you'd been on twenty. And for those uh, listeners who don't know, uh, Stefan is actually from you're from South Africa, correct? Uh, I wasn't born in South Africa, but yes, I, I spent uh, two decades in, in in South Africa. Yeah. Where are you from originally? <laughs> Believe it or not, I was born in the Serengeti. Uh, my father was a diplomat for Great Britain at the time in the 1950s, and he was stationed in the, the British Commonwealth countries, the previous countries to the crown across the world. And uh, he spent seven years in uh, Kenya in the Serengeti, and I was actually born there and went to school there for a couple of years before he was stationed in Hong Kong, the island just off China. And uh, I was stationed there with my dad for seven years, and then he got moved to South Africa, and uh, I did my high schooling in South Africa. Interesting. So you've been on the 20 safaris, and but nonetheless, I find it fascinating that you went again specifically for the purpose that you mentioned in order to try to relate and connect. I, my my thought was probably you had such familiarity with the stuff that you just sat at home in your you know in your home in, in Southern California and wrote the book. 
so I, I think it's really cool that you you made such an effort to to legitimize it in your own mind um, because I know that you know authenticity is something that's really hard to fake, and um, I think it's really cool that you went to such lengths to to make that connection. And you know, like I said before, I know a number of people who've read the book and they all love it. I, I absolutely do, and I've. I've been pretty aggressive in telling other people that they should read it and will continue to be so just because I believe in it so much. What's been your feedback that you've received since obviously I'm just a tiny a tiny microscopic part of your world? What other feedback have you received from people that you that you know and that you've shared the book with? Well, it is truly still very early. As you well know, that the official publication date is on March the 1st, which is only in two weeks' time. Um, uh, I was uh, 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 able to print a, a very limited quantity of 100 books uh, on my own, which was not printed by the publisher, which we just did a sort of a – some people call it a galley copy, but a galley copy usually something printed by the publisher. This is something we just did a, a, a mock-up at home, uh, a, a soft cover. The real book's going to be – or is a hard cover. Uh, the, the real book is also considerably uh, thicker. Uh, I took one of the older versions, which we were working on at one stage, and people say to me, you've got to you know, email me the PDF of your book so I can read it. And uh, that's just not my style. <laughs> I didn't want to email somebody and have somebody photocopy a, a, a half-baked little kind of a document. So I went and spent a thousand bucks, had a cover design, put it, put it around, cut, and so, cut it to size, and put the books together, and, and, and sent those out for people to review. And yes, I am extremely humbled and grateful uh, and appreciative because every single one, without exception, have been um, off the chart kind with the, the comments. Uh, it has been very diverse all across the board. Everything from go chase this book down to I could not put this book down. Um, I mean, we were even blessed by getting testimonials from Ken Blanchard himself, which I look up to. Um, his quote is actually on the cover of the book. It says, this is one of a kind. You'll actually know more about yourself after you've read this book. We spoke with people like uh, Del Stinton, the head of NAR, uh, Dave Liniger, the head of Remax, uh, Mark Willis, the head of Keller Williams, Alex Perillo, the head of Realogy. I mean, these are all big companies. Or then some other authors, uh, Don Hudson, who also wrote a book, a, a best-selling book, Tom Ferry, who wrote a book. We have an NFL quarterback. We've got a, a professor from the university at the University of California. So we've tried to spread it out amongst a wide selection of people and yes uh, it seems like the four-year journey I've taken and and the trips back to Africa and the 28 versions I wrote to write this book is going to hopefully pay off because I, I think we've produced a book um, I did not originally see it as a business book I did see it as a life book but my very first coach and my very first publisher uh, literary agent that looked at the book said Stefan you can't be everything you've got to pick a category uh, you know, you're, it's either a garden book or a kitchen book or it's a novel or, you know, you've got to pick a category. I said, well, it's a life book. And they said, no, you can't pick that category. That's not a category. That's too general. So so they, they forced me to sort of nudge it towards a business book. And then at the very end, just as they finalized the cover, the publisher actually said, but, you know, this is a life book. And you'll see the byline of the book has actually changed from the very early versions. It now says seven skills to master business and life. Hmm. So more and more people are seeing this as a, a life book as much as it is a business book. And we have two, uh, two, two main characters in the book, and the one does go on a life journey in the book, and the other one does actually go on a business journey in the book. So I think it applies to both. 
Yeah, in fact, I'm holding the book in my hand as we're talking, and I'm impressed. I had no idea that you that you physically assembled this yourself. I mean, it, it looks and feels exactly like a regular book. So nice job on that. Outstanding. Um, do you mind if I ask, who was the NFL quarterback that you referred to? Uh, this is a, a former NFL quarterback who is now a CBS commentator, Gary Danielson. Oh, yeah, former Detroit Lion. <laughs> yeah, he's now on TV, and uh, we had an opportunity to connect with him through the television, and uh, he was delighted about the idea, listened at the idea, and said he wanted to read the book, and read the book, and within the same day gave us a quote. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, again, you mentioned that it becomes available for uh, public purchase, or, or not, I, I, technically you, you can get it now, pre-ordering it, but it's going to be available in stores on March 1. Is that the idea? Yeah, what we would, what I would really like our listeners to do, if people would like to support us, is it is going to be in 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 Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and Borders and all those kind of stores, uh, starting on Monday, February the twenty eighth. Monday, February the twenty eighth. That is the official launch week. And what would be really helpful for me, guys, is if, if as many of you as possible, that week, don't go before the time, that week, because all the sales that count that week will count towards the bestseller of launch week. That's the launch week. And if we can go to the, go into the stores, uh, I did hear the other day that Barnes & Noble has told uh, the publishers that every single Barnes & Noble in the country will be carrying this book, and that is exceptional, because wow. Barnes & Noble does not buy copies of every business book. Sometimes they buy nothing or sometimes they only put one copy in a big store. They have small stores, medium stores, and big stores. They will be carrying multiple copies in the medium and the big stores and single copies in the small stores. But if you, for some reason, get to your stores, it's already sold out, please place an order and place the order right there and then because if you place the order during that first week, it will get added up into the sales for the first week. And that's so important. Think just like a movie release. It's what the box office receipts are of that first week that so often sets the tone and the standard and the level and the platform. And because I'm a complete unknown speaker and a complete unknown author outside the real estate space, it is important that people like Barnes & Noble and Books A Million take notice of, wow, there is a new author in town. He is popular. He does have following across the country. So I really want the books to be sold out the first week in the stores. Again, not because I'm trying to make money. The money in this book is, is minor, truly minor, because the stores have already marked the books down with 43%. The publisher takes the biggest single chunk, and then I am donating a significant chunk to the Africa Wildlife Foundation on the sale of every single book. So it's not about the money. It's about becoming known, becoming somebody in this new huge world of business fable writing. Well, I think my again, I don't know I don't know anything about this and I admit that, but I think it's inevitable. I, I just think it's it's deserving of that. And didn't you tell me and I'm sorry if this is something you wouldn't want discussed, just to shut me down, but the people who are representing you are fairly selective in terms of who they will represent and they have a, a very strong track record of only picking those books that actually ultimately end up being quite successful. Is that not correct? There are many people that, that self-publish, and you can make more money if you usually self-publish. If you decide to go the publishing route, you then usually have to go through a variety of hoops. You either have to, you have to get a literary agent. Then the literary agents themselves are very selective because they don't want to take a potential loser. And the average literary agent sometimes tells me that they could get 50 to 100 books a week, but they only pick one. So they already go through a culling process. Then the literary agent will take the one which he's picked out of his 50 to 100 books 
to the publisher itself. The publisher now gets from many literary agents another 50 to 100 requests, and then he again only takes one or two or three from that. And then once you have that culling process again, you then go get a point of publicist, and there are very few publicists that focus only on business, age, uh, business books, and they only want to focus on a book which they think they can make a home run out of, because they get tacked on every time they have a book which is a bestseller, they can push their fees up. So they only mm. want to take a bestseller, so most of the book publisher uh, publicists that handle business books only want to handle about one a month. So you can already see at every station, somebody is there to say no. And to be able to, to, to get uh, the biggest uh, book publisher in the world for book business books in the world, to get one of the top ten literary agents in the world, which also deals with Donald Trump's books, to get one of the best publicists in the world, which I think 80% of their last books were all bestsellers. Yes, it's taken me three years to try and cobble this team together of, I don't, know, I don't want to say it's the only team, I don't want to say it's the best team, I'm sure there are other teams which can do equally as good, but this is a very, very good team of quality literary agents, publicists, and, and uh, publishers together, and I've, I've now worked with them for the last four or five months, and I am optimistic that they can do what it takes to help me, and together with them, we're looking forward to a New York Times bestseller. Did you also tell me that one of the people on your team has some involvement with Tim Ferriss? Yes, yes. The literary agent is uh, the same literary agent for Tim Ferriss for 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 day for for day and for our work week. Yep. Yeah, and that's a tremendous book that uh, one of my favorites, and so that's that's really awesome. In fact, it's interesting because he wrote in that book about how he got his book published, which was a fascinating story, and all the all the little tricks and hacks that he figured out along the way, but. You know, I, again, really think it's going to be a huge success and um, wish you all the best with it. And is there anything else you wanted to share about the book or the backstory or uh, those who may have helped contribute to it? Or just anything else that you think the listeners might find of interest about surviving your Serengeti? The book is simple, uh, Michael. The, the book is about hope. It is about the fact that we can all survive, irrespective of our own lives or journeys. We often think that our lives are, are better or worse than somebody else, and we all have struggles. We all have our uniquenesses. So whether it's a, it's a struggle in your life, a burden, a sadness, a, an addiction, whether it's a, it's a goal which is achievable or not achievable, whether it's something that happened of the, about, because of the economy, it doesn't make a difference. We, we all have a life, and, and you have a life that you would like to live or that you think you should be living and that you might not be living at the moment. And and we're all looking for answers. We're always always looking for inspiration. And now I, I can't necessarily inspire you and I don't have answers for your specific life, but there are answers. And and you have the untapped skills within you to succeed. There's not a shadow of a doubt that you have them. You have to find them. Some of us have, some of us haven't. Some think we don't have but you do. You're not alone if you don't think you don't have them. You do have them, and you have enough of them. You, you have to go find them. Now, there, there are many ways of finding them. Religion will help you find them. A quality parents will help you find them. A good friend will help you find them. And maybe a good book will help you find them. I believe I wrote this book, Surviving Your Serengeti, where Serengeti becomes a metaphor for anything that you want to overcome or achieve or desire or want. You will connect with this book because the book was written for everyone. 
This is not a male book or a female book. This is not for any specific creed or color or race. This is not a political book. This does not sell you anything. This is a story which will take you on a journey, a journey of self-discovery. You will find more about yourself. You will learn more about yourself in a simplistic, funny, nice, interesting, humoristic way. And I hope that this book will create within you the emotions to find that untapped skill that you have, to find that innate instinctive skill that you have that will make you successful and allow you to live and dream and be the person that you can be. It is from the bottom of my heart that I wish all of your readers here today the best of success. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I I find that I look at people a little bit differently um, when I know what animal they are. And again, um, you, you and I had a brief conversation about the uh, the science, or, or maybe science isn't the right word, the analytics, the process that went into creating the what animal am I, um, dot com quiz uh, that people can take very quickly and easily to find out what animal they are. And, and it's funny because this group of people that have been on the periphery of this process with us in recent weeks, you know, many of them have, have announced what animal they are and they put a uh, what's called a twib, and I believe it is on their Twitter avatars and in various other places like I have and Todd has and you have, Stefan. And it's funny how I find myself looking at people a little bit differently when I know what animal they are. And, and that's a sort of a little side benefit or side aspect to, to understanding the book that I didn't anticipate when I started reading it, that that would happen. Funny, and that's one of the biggest, funny in a good way, of course, I find that's one of the biggest values that I get out of it is I think, oh, Todd is a graceful giraffe, which he really is. And and it, it, it absolutely, as one who knows Todd well, that's exactly what I think he is. And it's it's just funny how having that knowledge has mattered to me. And, um, you know, one thing, I hope you're going to honor your word here, Stefan. I know you're a man of your word, so I'm sure that you're going to. But we've been leaning on you. You've been very coy in recent weeks, and you have not announced what animal you are. And I think I saw that you've agreed to give us the exclusive on this on the show right now, and we're, we have about four minutes left. So I'm hoping that you will do exactly that and reveal to us what animal you are. Wow. Well, yeah, we have seven animals in the book. Of course, the enduring wildebeest, the strategic lion, the enterprising crocodile, the efficient cheetah, the graceful giraffe, the risk-taking mongoose, and the communicating elephant. And, and, and it's not that we don't have more than one skill. We all have more, more than one skill. And many of us, many of us are fortunate enough to have, have multiple talents. But, but there, is, there is only one skill that can be the most dominant, can be the most uh, singly, the, the, the instinctively the strongest skill. And before I took the test, I actually thought I was a wildebeest. That was the skill which I would have tagged myself with. Uh, I consider myself as a person that, that would never give up. I will never give up. If I say I'll do something, I will do it. And uh, I don't care if things go wrong for a while. I will stick it through till the end. That's the one which I actually thought I was. Then we put the test together and, and we ran uh, uh, hundreds of questions. Uh, gave it to a, a PhD and a professor guy at a university. They ran tests back and came back and said, these questions are unnecessary. These are duplicative. These don't work. Credits, a new algorithm. We put it through a battery of 532 people that tested it. We came back and he tweaked it again one more time and he came back and he said, these 21 questions will give you the answers in 90% of the time. In 10% of the time, either the people don't know themselves who they are or they're lying 
or they're just picking 10, 10, 10, 10, or 5, 5, 5, 5, 5, 5. And whatever you're picking, you will, you will screw the questions up if you don't do that uh, organically. So I thought, well, this is interesting. I'd like to go find out who I am, you know, because I thought I was the Vildebius, and I, I went and took the test, and I wasn't the Vildebius. Now, I didn't quite see myself as uh, the gracious giraffe. I would love to be, but I just don't think I am. I, I think I'm enterprising because I've started four or five of my own businesses, but I don't think I'm quite as enterprising as, as somebody like you. You're, you're the ultra croc. I mean, I'm not quite the ultra croc. Um, uh, risk-taking mongoose, I have a lot of respect for risk-taking mongoose, and I have taken risks in my life, but I'm a cautious guy. I'm a professional guy with a professional background, so I will shy away sometimes from certain risks. Uh, communicating elephant, um, I thought about that for a second, and I, you know, I'm good on stage, I am a good presenter, but I am not a party animal. By, by nature, I am not a talker. I will talk because of my work, but by nature, I'm not a talker, and I'm not sure I'm that good at communication, so I didn't think I was that. So the two that remained behind was a cheetah or a lion, and I said to myself, I think I'm one of those two. I took the test five times. I was one one animal once, and I was four the other one, so clearly it can see where it is. I was the cheetah once, so I, am, I have a dash of efficiency in me. I, I like to uh, not waste resources. I like to do things in effective time, effective manner. If uh, my appointment is 10 o'clock, I'll be there at one minute before 10 o'clock. But there is no doubt that my family agree 100% that I, my dominant skill by far is that of being a strategist. I plan out everything I do in my life. I map it all out. I'm very clear where, where I'm going, what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, what the steps I'm going to have to take, who's coming with me on the trip. And for me, it is a, it is a journey that has a roadmap. I understand there can be changes. I know I have to adapt. I have to be uh, a person who's willing to, to alter. But at the end of the day, I am a strategic lion. Taking the test five times and four times, clear 100%. I am a lion. Well, you know what? That's interesting because it's so you're both figuratively and literally the king of the Serengeti. <laughs> and you, I have to ask you, Stefan, it's interesting, and, and not to talk about me, but I went through the exact same process as you. As you'll recall, my first Twitter, I, put, I created a Twitter account, which was called Ultra Beast, because I, exactly like you, I thought I was going to be a wildebeest. I was positive, because that's what my prevailing characteristic is as well. Then I took the test and turned out to be the crocodile. But can you take the test multiple times, and do the questions differ when you take it again? Sure you can, because remember, uh, it's only based on your answers, and if you, the test is very sensitive. Even if you, if you fluctuate between giving something a six today and tomorrow you're giving it an eight, and you do that on, on two questions, there is an algorithm which will give a certain weighted difference to every question, and it's not something which is manually done. It was created by this PhD guy who specializes. He's written a book about assessments, so it, it has a very complicated algorithm behind it, so you, no human eye sees it, and if you're going to waver with your answer, and change your opinion, you could be something else. But but the people that I know that have taken it multiple times, you know, and I say multiple, four, five, six, seven times, have almost without exception, uh, you know, three or four times will come back to the same animal. And maybe on the one time which you were not, that is then maybe your second strongest skill, or maybe you just had a day where you felt differently or somebody impacted you at the office and you for that short period of time were going through a certain emotional bent and you decided to answer a question a little bit higher or a little bit lower. But, but that's most likely your second skill. So I do think that the cheetah is my second skill. 
Interesting. Well, we are out of time, Stefan, and I just wanted to tell you one more time how much it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. We wish you tremendous success with surviving your Serengeti. I believe it's inevitable, and um, people can pick up a copy. Would you prefer to get it in advance or just go out and get it when, it, when it's released in the stores? Go get it when it comes out the bookstores. Please go rush the bookstores and go grab it there. Well, you know what? That's what we'll continue to encourage people to do. Thank you so much, sir. We wish you nothing but the best in everything that you do, and we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Todd. Take care, guys. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 